Take me out to the ball game Take me out with the crowd Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks And I don't care if I ever get back Cause it's root, root for the whole team They don't wait, it's a shame Cause it's one, two, three strikes You're out at the Welcome to Let's Get Two, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. And welcome to Let's Get Two. I'm your host, James Christopher, and we are back. We've had a couple of weeks off, uh, the way things fell with the World Series and stuff, um, and then just commitments we all had. Uh, We weren't able to get an episode out, but we've missed it. We're excited to be back. And we've got a great episode for you today. We're going to be talking a little bit about that World Series. We're going to have Alex Euclid on. He's a big Dodger fan. He actually made it out to the NLCS for three games. He's going to come on and talk about what it was like for his Dodgers to win the World Series finally. Uh, Scott McIntyre is here to talk a little bit about the season. We've got Andy Tom Cheston here to talk a little bit about the Astros and Dusty Baker. Now, we're recording this on November the 2nd, and that's uh, an interesting date for a lot of reasons. Um, one, yesterday was Dia de los Muertos. Um, we are wearing our Corpus Christi Hooks, Dios de los Muertos hat. Um, it's a very cool day, especially, you know, particularly down here in Texas with that, that Mexican heritage on our state's culture. So, uh, and I love the fact that so many of the baseball teams in the area do this, but the hooks, that's where my heart is. See that? But also tomorrow is election day and, Politics has invaded this show, uh, maybe more than I even I would like, and it's because I'm I'm passionate about it and I get fired up as well. And baseball, for as much as people want them to shut up and play, has always involved politics at every single level. Uh, let's remember that the darkest moments in baseball history was during that time period when black people weren't allowed to play. So for those of you who want baseball left out of pol- politics, understand that it is a very politically driven game. Uh, I think this episode is dropping on Election Day. We've got some late interviews tonight, so I don't know, but I'm not going to talk about the politics in specific right now. I think people who know me know where I'm voting, know how I'm voting or how I voted, I guess, because I did early vote. And I think I think what we need to realize is how I voted isn't a big deal. And, and I, you know, it's funny because I'm in a period of my life right now where I have now voted for a Democrat, uh, three elections in a row, three elections, yeah, three elections in a row. Uh, before that I'd voted strictly Republican. And I think that the Republican party has changed a bit and I haven't necessarily changed, but I, that's immaterial and not what I'm, talking about. What I hope is that we remember the whole point of the way our democracy is set up. On November 4th, Wednesday morning, we might find out that we will continue with four more years under Donald Trump, or we're going to find out that we're going to begin a four-year chapter with Joe Biden. 
What we have to remember as Americans is that the most important part of our democracy is the peaceful transition of power, that we are able to change ideologies, that we are able to have contentious selections where when it's over with, we all sort of agree that America is the most important thing. And right now, I'm so worried that we've forgotten that. The idea that businesses in major metropolitan areas have already started boarding windows, prepared for violence. And look, I know a lot of people don't like to hear that's both sides problems, but there have, there are violent factions on both sides of this at this point. And the fact that businesses are prepared for that feels too close to a third world country for my, my liking. So I, I just want to get back to remembering that we're all Americans first. And if we don't like something, there are democratic ways to fix it. And if you don't like things like the Electoral College, I happen to still believe that it is the right way to do things. I understand and will listen to intelligent people who have other views. But we can change things. But, you know, the actions like the the Trump blockades over the past weekend, they're un-American. And we have to, to realize that America is supposed to be about ideals and who has the better ideals. And look, if your ideals, if you're so worried about them not being the best way to do things, that your solution is to block traffic and suppress votes, maybe you should look inward. But I hope no matter what happens in the election, I am a guy that loves this country. Uh, we're going to have a Veterans Day episode on next week that's going to be all about love of country and love of those people who put on a uniform and give up many of their own civil rights, give up their ability to really, you know, when, when people tout that the that the polls of the military say this thing or that thing, they don't really understand how the military works. So, the, shocker. But, yeah, we're going to see... A change in power. And in that episode, we're going to talk a lot about why we love this country. What we have to remember is that our ideals that made the country what it is, that made America great in the first place, are, are, are more important than your ideology. And I think one of the things that bugs me the most is that it's, it's not people voting for America. It's people voting for Trump. But it isn't, again, it isn't just that. I, I am old enough to remember before the idea of describing a, a, a state as red, a red or blue was a thing. It's a relatively new phenomena, um, you know, 15, 20 years now, I guess, but still in the, in the lifetime of this country, relatively new. And we have to move past that. We have to move past the fact that, well, this is a red state. This is a blue state. This is a purple, like, we're in a political cycle nonstop and it's not good for anyone. It really isn't. And the fact is, is that what makes me a moderate is I believe that there are certain things that the Democrats are absolutely right on and certain things that traditional Republican values, I wouldn't say current necessarily Republican values, but the Republican values of H.W. Bush and W. Bush and Reagan are quite frankly, the best way forward. But no matter what that direction is, we have to remember that we are Americans and whatever short-term anger that we have over an election, if, if our person loses and we act essentially like a child, we're actually doing 
far more damage to the whole of our democracy than we can see at this very moment. So I hope that on Wednesday, we can do two things. We can remember that the people that are in our, in our families that we love and our friends that we love that maybe didn't vote the way we wanted them to vote. That does not make them Darth Vader. It does not make them evil. It does not make them terrible people that we have to cut out of our lives. I know that some of them may be asked to be cut out in the way they handle themselves, and that's fair. But just the simple act of somebody voting differently than you does not make them a terrible person. But what I hope is that even if we wake up tomorrow and the side that we that we wanted to win didn't, that we don't give up the fight and we don't say, oh, I'm moving somewhere else and, 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 and fall for the grass is always greener on the other side argument. I hope that we keep focused on trying to make a change. And we keep putting pressure on government to do things the way we hope that they should be done. That we keep trying to live up to this American ideal that look, honestly, we probably will never achieve, but the whole point of it is to keep fighting for it, to keep fighting for our country, to keep fighting to make it better, to keep fighting for our neighbors and to keep fighting and voting and and all those things that we have as Americans that we can do to hopefully reach a more perfect union. And now, The Big League Chew, and I on the Majors, brought to you by Zoomer Sport. All right, so we're jumping back into The Big League Chew. After a bit of a hiatus, uh, we have round, you know, just like the coronavirus, Scott. Would you we- call me? I'm not a hiatus. Oh, sorry, I misunderstood. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I, 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 uh, unlike the coronavirus in this country, Mr. President, we are rounding the curve to the end of our fourth season got four episodes left and um you know i want to dive into this world series man um i thought for the most part a pretty entertaining series um i was surprised i guess at how how dominant it felt like the dodgers were at times and so i want to first of all get your first brush of the world series and then i want to ask about mr snell as a former pitcher but what do you think of the world series overall uh, so I thought the World Series was outstanding and one of the best World Series games that we've ever seen played. Uh, game four, I believe it was when Tampa tied it up at 2-2. Um, I don't think it was that dominant of, of the Dodgers. I know that a lot of people are going to see that way, but that's how Tampa Bay wins, man. They're 40-20 and 20 on, the, on the season because they win one-run games. They do it really, really well. The Yankees outscored them. They beat the Yankees. Uh, in their series. They scored 22 total runs in a six-game series in the ALCS, and they moved on. That's just that's the seven Tampa Bay game formula. Seven-game series, son. Seven-game seven series. Game excuse series. me. Excuse me. I said six. I meant seven. I was thinking about World Series just being six games and, and the small amount of runs they scored there. Yes, in the six games. Well, but Houston, like, dominated them one game. So what can we really count that game? Um, we should count it no, twice. <laughs> oh, you wish. You yeah, wish. I do. <laughs> uh, I, do. I yeah. I want to come. I want to come back to Houston in a minute. Um, but no. I. I. That's just how Tampa plays. Now, I, the one thing for sure. I hope that a lot of people in the major leagues are paying attention to who I pick to be the World Series runner-up in March. Because for two years in a row, if I pick you as the runner-up, I'm wrong and you win the whole thing. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm three for four on teams getting there, right? Yeah. When we do this in March, I'm three for four, and that looks great. Uh, but I haven't picked a winner yet. You well, know? but you know, I'm what, that guy that, that boxes the exacta, and his horses come in one three. I'm, but doesn't that speak though to why baseball is different than everything? You cannot predict individual. You try to go in and predict an individual game, and you will be wrong more often than oh, not. Yeah. 
I do want to get to game um, game six and the removing of Snell. And it, it's 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 only um, I think maybe more interesting for those who paid attention to the ALCS because he did do the same thing with Morton against the Astros, and that almost cost him. Um, what were your overall thoughts on taking Snell out when he was pitching so well? I, this is an adult show, right? I mean, yeah, languages. Fuck shit. Cop, I was sitting. If I was sitting in a bullpen, the fuck are you thinking? That's honestly what I thought. The fuck are you thinking? I, 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 and that's the first time I've dropped an F bomb on this show, and it was well thought out and timely, if you ask me. Um, <laughs> no, I, you cost yourself the game if you're not Kevin Cash, right? If you're not considered to be one of the elite managers at this level, and and your team's not there in the first place if it's not for you and the moves you've made throughout the year, um, you, you really have to worry if you're going to have a job in February Yeah. Um, for anybody else. I mean, that was, that was as dumb as leaving Pedro in the game years and years and years ago when Pedro was on like 120 pitches and everybody knew that he was out of gas. Uh, man, Snell had so much gas left in him and he was fired up. He was ready to go. And, and, and he was dealing, man, he was absolutely dealing. And, and Kevin Cash looked at his chart or whatever and said, well, we, we must do this and pushed his glasses up and then went out and pulled him out of the game. And, and, and for as, as much as I don't like the way that Dusty Baker and Tony LaRusa, now that he's back, how they manage, um, uh, what Kevin Cash did there, that just that, that blew up in his face. That honestly, that that blew up in his face, and 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 deservedly so. Uh, you know, the Dodgers are a really good team. You you can't make mistakes against a team that good with right. that much offense, and to start playing little matchups there when you got a guy that's just rolling. And, and yeah, he didn't and want look, Snell to see him the third time. If you look at if you look at Snell's numbers since his Cy Young season, so you look at them all last year, and you look at him. This past season, yeah, he hadn't been great third time through the order, but but he looked like a different dude. And I think that is where, you know, your chart is one thing. And and looking at the guy on the mound has to be another thing. And I think the only person happy about that move was probably A.J. Hinch, because now they can leave him alone for Game 7 of the World Series. and take him Mookie out. Betts was pretty happy to see that, too, and said he as said much so. after the game. Yeah. He said so. They were all happy. And look, haven't played the game. If you got a guy that's out there rolling, he it doesn't matter what his ERA is. If you got a guy out there that suddenly believes in himself and he's throwing stuff that you just can't put a bat on or you can't put it on there solidly, and for some unexplained, inexplicable reason, they pull the guy out of the game. Man, it's freaking salsa and Morocco's time. It's sitting. In, I mean, because now you you've you've got. You're having a party. You've got a chance. And, and, and I felt and again, like in a going, one nothing game, it was too and, tight and to pull. Going in. back to the ALCS game seven, you saw that exact same reaction in the Astros dugout when they took Morton out. They took mm-hmm. Morton out on 58 pitches. Now, granted, you won, but sometimes result isn't necessarily the only this, this whether the, the only indicator whether a decision was good or not. Um, That's correct. I, I do want to talk a little bit about a couple of big issues then. Um with Major League Baseball right now, right, right, right. The biggest thing, and our buddies before the pitch kind of talked about it on their video they just dropped. Manfred's talking neutral site World Series, and I understand that we have a neutral site Super Bowl, but those are two different events. Talk to me a little bit about what you think about the possibility of a neutral site World Series. It eliminates him having to worry about um, 
Miami and Seattle play, or Colorado and Cleveland, or you know, two small market teams playing. It, it eliminates that. It still keeps the excitement up. What they're concerned about is that okay, if um, if I can put a World Series in a central location, then I can control start times. I can control who gets in. It becomes an event, right? Um, there are so many bad ideas that Rob Manfred uh, has tried to put into baseball. This isn't one that really bothers me that much. If you okay. want to make it a neutral site, then let's make it a neutral site. Um, I, I have there are bigger fish to fry. You know, fi- fix the way you're dealing with the minor leagues. Get your CBA <laughs> in order. Well, to be um, fair, Scott, because to me, that's dealing with the minor leagues. So there you go. Right. Well, I'm, I mean, but this is the thing. There are so many. Um, there are so many different. Um, what am I trying to say? So many different issues that that this this sport has in front of it, right? Getting people back. I don't think you're going to get a bunch of viewers back because you're holding it at, at the uh, rodeo and tool shed barn. That's globe life park in Dallas. Uh, but you're, you're still going to, it really does. It looks like, it looks like, well, we're, we could have a rodeo, but instead we're going to play a baseball game. Every time they did the aerial shot, or it looked like the Menards or the Home Depot that had the lumber section out to the side. It was one of those two. I'm not sure which one, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure they show horses there in the off season. Uh, and it's Texas. Um, so I'm sure of it, but I, I don't mind the, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't mind the neutral site that, that, that's fine. That's fine by me. Um, uh, especially if, you know, if if it's game four and your team's down 3-0 and you're in a small market or if you're in Yankee Stadium, you might not sell out, but you probably would at a neutral side if people have paid to go um, yeah. to, to go um, travel somewhere. So I'm, I'm okay with around, it. I'm all right with it. I think it's an all-around awful idea. I think um, one of the things that you run into is uh, baseball World Series is mostly played during the week. Are you going to have disinterested third-party fans wanting to show up for the weeknights? The people that you do, you'll you'll end up having a much more corporate crowd. I don't think you'll have – like the Super Bowl, the crowd energy is pretty dead. And I think what's cool about baseball yeah. for that pitch going, you get the rocking, raucous crowd. So I think it's an all-around awful idea. I want to talk about managers that have been hired. Um, so Let me get out my walker first. Well, uh, if we're but here's what's interesting about. about that. So, you know, the Tigers hired A.J. Hinch – about 30 minutes after his suspension ended, which shows us again, how much we really cared about anything that occurred in the Astros in 17. Uh, We don't. Um, But the interesting thing about the La Russa hire was apparently the White Sox thought they had Hinch and they actually released a promo graphic that had Tony La Russa's photo and name, but AJ Hinch's signature that they went back and replaced. Um, Is that the only way they arrive at La Russa? What do you think of this La Russa hire? I think that Reinsdorf went behind. I think the ownership went behind their back. I, I think the ownership said, this is, this is, this is what I want. And, and he didn't, for whatever reason, whether Hinch didn't choose them or where at the last minute he said, mm, I don't want to write the, the um, check out to this guy who may have a little stink on him, even though I'm too, I agree with you that he doesn't. Um, and I'm going to go with this guy that managed us 40 plus years ago or, or, or whatever it was and, uh, and pulled out the La Russa hire. I, I also think that it, it has something to do with the fact that La Russa was hungry and La Russa saw Baker, Dusty Baker's similar age. Sure. And La Russa thinks he's still got it in him. And I'm going to tell you something, 
Tony Larusa is really, really good. Just ask him. <laughs> I can't freaking stand him. Okay, I, 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 you're I, a Cardinal I, guy, and you are not a fan of this dude. I've never been a, a fan of Tony Larusa. I think Tony Larusa, um, he has. The, the problem is now does he bring Scott Spezio and uh, Mike Matheny out of retirement to be his, uh, you know, his central core players like he was used to. I know they're in their 50s now, but yeah. I'm sure Tony can find a way to to plug them in because uh, he took them with him from hop to hop everywhere he went. I, I, I'm, I don't think it's going to work out. Well, you know, it may work out for the White Sox because they have so much talent to begin with. But I think there's a lot of better younger managers on the market um, that that can fit with today's type of player. And I just don't know how well it's going to fit, but I mean, if I will say this, if the white Sox, if the white Sox and the, and and the Astros have to play in the ALCS though, do you think it'll be all day games to make sure that dusty and Tony, (laughs) Tony get finished before their bedtime? I'm just, it's a possibility before the buffet at Luby's closes. Um, I mean, you got to think about those early birds, but we'll take the 10 Oh five AM start because we need to be done. Uh, I do think what's interesting, though, from an actual baseball perspective is that the Astros maybe ended up with the better end of the stick because I think, you know, the Astros are a veteran team that kind of run themselves and needed a guiding hand. The White Sox are still on the come, and I think they're going to be great, but I think that they still – I don't know. I think to your point, I don't know that they feel like – I don't know that LaRusse is going to be able to motivate young players, whereas Dusty Baker doesn't really have to motivate. That's not his job. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know how that's gonna. I don't know how it's gonna go. Also, at seventy six, and and he's. Let's face it, Larusso has been out of the game for a decade. Yeah. Um. Uh, I we'll we'll see. We 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 shall see. Uh, it's not the hire I would have made. I heard that Bruce Bochy was second on their list. Also, so it's not like Reinsdorf didn't want youth. Reinsdorf wanted. I think Reinsdorf ownership felt like, hey, we have a young team. I want an old guy in charge that knows his way around the ropes. And I want someone I feel comfortable with. And that was Tony LaRusso. And Bochi to me would have made even more sense because even though he's also old, he had less time removed from the game. Like he correct. He's only been retired for two years. In fact, I wanted Bochi for the Astros job. Um, he just didn't want to go back in that soon. Um, real quick then thoughts on the idea that uh, the Red Sox are probably going to rehire Cora. Uh, they're not going to get any better. It doesn't matter who, I mean, they've got so many broken pieces in their, in the Red Sox right now. Uh, they've got injuries to deal with. They've got absolutely no pitching. They've got a depleted minor league system. If that thing still exists, uh, they can bring in Cora. That's fine. Uh, they could, they could hire, you know, any, any, and I don't think it's Tony LaRusa. Uh, they, they could hire just about anyone, right? What other old managers, they could hire the ghost of Sparky Anderson to fill out a, a pseudo uniform with Don Zimmer as his bench coach and, um, and let the, I mean, it, it, it the Red Sox are, are, are depleted. I, I think the big interesting thing in this off season, just, I'm going to tell you the, the most interesting thing to me, you, you have free agency that's about to start up and no one, no one has a clue what their finances are looking like right now. Yeah. So the free agency market this year is the craziest thing ever. And in St. Louis, we got Wainwright and Molina that aren't signed. And we just let Colton Wong potentially go too, because nobody knows what, what this is going to look like. I think this free agent market is going to be very, very dead and very, very frightening for a lot of guys and then swing up and you're going to see a lot of signings late. But I think people are going to get nervous and white knuckled through it. And this is going to lead into a really contentious, weird collective bargaining time. 
because nobody knows what they're really bargaining off of because who who knows what the season's going to look like next year um man i this this off season has it has me excited in kind of a way that you're sitting back wondering if the two trains are going to collide the minor league mind with jess canaster so we're excited to be back on the minor league mind we've had a bit of a hiatus uh time is a flat circle but yet we've only been uh it's been a few weeks, man. How are things? Things are, you know, progressing along now that the World Series is over, at least from the minor league baseball perspective uh, and what the future holds. I think uh, uh, there's a chance that we might get more information in a quicker amount of time uh, with with no pesky actual baseball to worry about anymore. It's uh, the theoretical stuff for next year can materialize and be fun or not fun, but can can it exist and then the dominoes from there can fall so uh that's a nice thing but uh beyond that it's it's fall here in southern california and in the desert that means that we've gone from uh 100 degrees every day to 80 degrees in the day and about 40 to 30 oh, right. overnight so uh now we just really get to wear three or four different coats throughout the day <laughs> You got to love that. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about, obviously, about the minor league baseball stuff. And there's really two big kind of, I think, bellwethers of, um, I guess, moments that have happened. And I think the first one I want to dive into is what was told to me by my source in minor league baseball as a cancellation. And it's really been a essentially moved to the virtual space of the winter meetings. Um, now for those of you who don't know, the winter meetings are you or were generally co-ran by the MLB and the, the MILB and the MLB, with a lot of the MILB doing a lot of the planning. Um, couple things. The meetings were canceled, and that word came from the MLB. What does that mean? Well, uh, with the cancellation of the of the meetings, um, at least from the the uh, effect of what the winter meetings do for minor league baseball it's an opportunity for minor league baseball teams uh, executives to get together and have meetings that kind of stuff can still happen virtually but i think what is going to hurt the industry the most is uh the cancellation of uh the winter meetings from what it means not having a job fair Mm -hmm. uh so interns who interns and full-time staff uh, positions can't be filled all in one place. I mean, there are, there are uh, websites, plenty of websites out there, uh, including the PBEO professional baseball employment opportunities website who put on the job fair in years past uh, that, I mean, I don't know that they'll be able to handle 600 postings. So we'll see how that kind of works out. But I think from the industry of minor league baseball, what takes the biggest hit is not having the trade show where yeah. uh, promotional items, uh, upgrades to stadiums, which that's going to be a big thing for minor league teams moving th- forward, uh, new scoreboards, new lighting, whatever it may be, that's all on display, excuse me, at the trade show. And uh, it's really an opportunity. I mean, it's taking advantage of the fact that all of these decision makers uh, are in the same place at the same time, and it can be uh, a big giant sales pitch to people who have money to spend on bettering their product, bettering their stadium uh, for their fans. And if you ever wanted an idea of just how big the industry of baseball and minor league baseball in particular is, 
go to the trade show. This isn't just, you know, 160 teams, but these are businesses that make jerseys, make specialty jerseys, even down to uh, last year we had an, we, we saw a booth for event insurance. Like this is truly an industry that because of COVID ground to a halt and now will look incredibly different when we finally do finish rounding the corner on this virus uh, as, as um, the orange Cheeto told us yesterday. Um, I think that's the really the, the impact maybe people are missing. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's not like at the trade show, it's uh, people looking for their big break, people looking uh, uh, vendors looking for their big break, looking to get noticed by anybody in minor league baseball. I mean, there are plenty of first timers into the industry of sports or into the industry of baseball who appear at these trade shows, but uh, which only occur at the winter meetings for the most part. I mean, sure. there has been a larger one in a couple in the last few years uh, at the uh, promo seminar now, the MILB Innovator Summit, uh, which is maybe going forward a better place for it anyway. But if you know, it goes forward, if, if it goes forward, that's something to argue on a different day. Um, but, you know, new era, new era, big name. They're at the trade show because it's an opportunity for everybody to see what they have to offer. Sure. And if nothing else, you've already placed your order, but you want to see in advance of what it looks like because you don't want to wait. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was thinking of, uh, you know, you're exactly right because new era is there. Louisville sluggers there. Wilson's there. I was thinking of the company dugout mugs, which has become kind of um, the go-to promo item to get They're They're hot. And they started by having a booth at the winter meetings, not that many years ago. Like it really can um, squash, I think, entrepreneurship by not having that event. Excuse me. Yeah. It's just, a, it's another opportunity for, uh, for people who want to do business together to be together. It, it just, it makes it easier. And I think, you sure. know, we, we found throughout uh, this pandemic that, we have the ability to do a lot of the same stuff that we were doing before uh, virtually. And in some ways that's easier, but in some ways I think it also hinders the ability to do business in the same, uh, to the same degree. You know, you can, you can still accomplish the same task, but you're not accomplishing it with as much uh, uh, success maybe. And, and so, uh, or at least not the same level or degree of success because you can't show off some stuff uh, nearly as well when you're looking at it through a, a video camera as you can when you can hold it in your hands. Sure. You, you talk about the dugout mugs, you can see how well engraved they are and you can feel how heavy they are and uh, be able to make better decisions that way. And I think it just, it, it does hurt business. Uh, you know, and it's another way that all of this minor league uh, contraction, affiliation loss, whatever you want to uh, frame it as, uh, another way that that's going to affect the business of minor league baseball. Well, let's talk a little bit contraction then, because that's obviously the topic we can never get away from, you know, major league baseball did it to us again, Jess, because, you know, a few weeks ago we had the Appy league announcement and we both had to walk away saying, okay, well that at least feels like major league baseball is keeping their promise. Um, but they are keeping high quality baseball in at least that community that was going to lose it. Now the rumor, and and I think it's a pretty, it's still a rumor, but it's pretty substantiated, is that the Appy League 
will become another collegiate wood bat league. Now, Jess, explain to the people the difference. Why shouldn't, why is this version of a collegiate wood bat league different? I'm sorry, the, the New York Penn League is becoming an, another collegiate wood, wood bat league. Why is what they want to do in the, in the New York Penn League different than what ended up happening in the Appy League, which admittedly you and I both liked? Well, the Appy League, you know, won. And I think the, the biggest difference between uh, that league and any other league in minor league baseball is all of the teams in the uh, Appalachian League are owned by their major league uh, parent clubs. So that, you know, that has its own tie-ins and it makes it easier to make money related decisions because you don't have to consult with the owners because you are the owners. Sure. You, you bypass the, I mean, it's hard to, it's, it's hard and probably inconsiderate to think of owners of minor league teams as the middleman, but that's kind of how it's playing out at this point that major league owners are going to make the decisions that they want to make and everybody else be damned. Uh, so that's, you know, that's, that's one difference, but I think the biggest difference as it pertains to the logistics of it is uh, the New York Penn league, unlike the Appalachian league, which is going to be uh major league baseball said they want to make it for uh, freshmen and sophomores. Uh, the New York Penn league is going to be for seniors and where that really uh, might not work logistically is uh, college seniors are eligible to be drafted. And if you're going to hold a, a season in the middle uh, or, or I guess surrounded by uh, the draft, which is now not, I mean, it, it, had it been done because the way the New York Penn league has been set up, most of those players in years past are guys who recently got drafted because the draft is within two to three weeks ahead of the start of the New York Penn league season. Right. If the draft now being in July uh, still only 20 rounds, but if the draft is with the draft now being in July, and you want to start uh, a New York Penn League, a 60-game season, which I think is what they announced they want to do, uh, you want to start that maybe a week or two before the draft, you might be losing players to the draft, and it just it, it creates, I think, uh, a more difficult circumstance because you know it remains to be seen how the players are going to be recruited to the teams, if it's going to be like the Northwoods League or the Cape Cod League or any other summer collegiate league where the teams – uh, get to do their own recruiting of players. Right. Uh, are you going to go after a guy that you might have for a week because he's going to be drafted or uh, with the draft only being 20 rounds, is that going to be something where, Oh, this guy's a senior. He wasn't picked after his junior season. We don't have to worry because if, if he impresses from here, then he might sign an undrafted free agent contract after the season. But will still have him for the year. And I mean, I think a lot of that can also be ignored uh, altogether by the right summer collegiate teams, because it really doesn't matter if you win games. If you're, if you're an entertaining baseball product to the point where people who want to see the baseball come out for the games, but the majority of the people who want to come out for the family entertainment have that, they'll look past the fact, the fact that the team is 20 and 40. If, if they can come out and have a great time and have cheap yeah. beef, great hot dogs and, have the ability to have their kids run around uh, beyond the outfield and the play area and take pictures with the mascot, because ultimately that's what sets minor league, uh, minor league baseball apart is, is the entertainment aspect off the field. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting because that 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 is the I think you're right, the hard part on on the recruitment. So for the, again, for those watching, collegiate summer league GMs, they're not like minor league GMs in the sense that they do have to put a roster together. They do have to find players. And they're like you said, there's a recruitment process. And yeah, you would almost have to say, we're gonna try to get a guy who we think's really good, but won't get drafted. So that way you have consistency across those 60 games. Now, generally speaking, do you know, and I should have researched this, but how many games does the New York Penn league, is it about 80 that they usually play? Uh, New York Penn league, I believe is 78. So they're losing about 18 dates. Um, when you're talking about on the one hand, 18 games, not a lot, but that's 20% of your season. Um, how does Major League Baseball plan to keep that financially viable, or do you think they even can or care to? Well, I think where it gets harder, because the uh, the Appalachian League, as it played last year, the, ro- the rookie levels uh, below the short season, they played fewer games. Actually, I, I take that back. I want to say New York Penn League maybe played closer to uh, 80 or 90 games. Yeah. It's, okay. an, even bigger, it's an even even bigger chunk of the schedule uh, home schedule that's going to be missing. But whereas with the Appalachian League, it was easier because they were losing maybe just a, a couple home dates uh, off the schedule. If it's if it's really if it's more than uh, six games, six or ten games, that's a big deal. I mean, when you think about it, even the full season teams, ten games is a seventh of their schedule, and and seven seven you know seven games is a tenth of the schedule. So one homestand makes a huge difference uh, even at the the uh, the full season, even at the AAA level. You lose seven yeah. home dates, and that's a lot of money that you don't have. That's a lot of money that you can't spend on uh, employees. That's a lot of money you can't spend on promotional items. And then it all trickles down from there. So in terms of MLB keeping uh, leagues like that viable, they haven't, I mean, maybe they do care uh, and whatever they have planned they just haven't announced yet i mean they haven't announced anything that's the thing though they haven't announced anything and we are like you like you said uh we're in november um we are now getting to the point where you know it's one thing for maybe the new york penn league or the new the the new collegiate appy league they have plenty they still have eight or nine months i guess to make start making some of these decisions but it does seem like time's running short and i don't get a feeling I don't get a feeling that that Major League Baseball really has a handle on the situation at all. Well, I mean, I think they they have the handle on it that they at least what they've demonstrated they have the handle on it that they want to have, which is we want to control our uh, you know again using a business term when talking about people kind of sucks but kind of have to uh, they want to control their assets they want right. to control their 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 future big money makers. Uh, in players, they they want to control how they go through the go through the minor league system, and I can understand that if you know they're worried about uh, having their their high draft picks get injured because of something that was avoidable or something like that. But I mean, if it's unavoidable, that happens. Um, but they just they want to have as much control over every uh, level of the development process that they possibly can. And so anything beyond that, they don't necessarily, or at least they haven't proven uh, that that is something that, that they care about at all. And so, you know, I think people who, who have either because they, they want to or because they've had to look at other aspects of the Major League Baseball takeover 
of the minors, uh, they can look at this and say, Major League Baseball is really dropping the ball, so to speak, because there's this they're doing wrong, there's this they're doing wrong, there's this and this and this. And from the business perspective of uh, only looking at what Major League Baseball is doing, how it's going to benefit them, those things don't appear. It's not, I mean, it's almost as if people like us are looking through it through a microscope, but I think it's really just that people who aren't looking at it that way uh, are more looking at it with their eyes closed. Go, go Astros, a focus on H-Town Hardball. So we are back here on Go, Go Astros. We are joined by Andy Tom Cheston rocking that Portland Pickles hat like it's nobody's business. I mean, it's not a gherkin, but it'll do. It'll do. Hey, um, I want to talk about a couple of things. First of all, let's talk about the second oldest manager in baseball. Tony La Russa? <laughs> Is Tony older? T- T- Tony's older than Dusty, I think. Um, I Whenever they had the sand that they both wrote their ages in when they were born, it's washed away and eroded off the planet by now. So I don't really think it matters. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there's some soothsayer out there that could tell you with some amount of certainty, but it's still going to be off by centuries. By, by centuries. Does that hire for the White Sox uh, make any sense to you? None. None at all. Um, the only thing I can think of is that negotiations broke down with AJ Hinch to the point that they had to go to number two before the Tigers announced their hire. Um, to the point that their graphic even included Hinch's name in it. So it, I'm, I'm not just guessing that happened. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that happened. That's the least amount of investigative journalism you've done this entire run of this show. I, like I did, it didn't have to, it didn't take much. I opened Twitter and it said Hinch crossed out Larusa must have been. Must have been. Hey, so let's talk a little Dusty Baker. So um, I guess we're stuck with him next year. Um, what do you think were his biggest failings this year as a manager? And do you see, do you think he has the opportunity to learn from what he, what he experienced? Uh, you know, we had this, a very similar conversation last, I don't know, February, March, whenever he was named as the manager. Um, I don't think that Dusty Baker is the kind of guy at this stage in his life that cares to learn from the error of his ways. Uh, He can say that he understands analytics or sports track or whatever overall overarching noun that he uses to apply to everything that the Astros analytical team does. Uh, He's still going to do really weird things that have no basis in old school baseball or new school baseball or whatever you want to call it. It's just Dusty Ball. Um, it, it's the same behavior that drove the Giants and the Reds and the Nats nuts. Um, he doesn't know how to manage a bullpen. Uh, he doesn't do it effectively. It's a lot on hunches until it's not, and then all of a sudden he's got to go righty-lefty. Um, <laughs> Billy Dean doesn't care about righty-lefty. Dusty really cares about Brian uh, or righty left to the point that we have picked up the extension on Brooks Raley, which I don't think is a bad signing um, if you use him an inning at a time. If you're going to extend him to a fourth hitter, fifth hitter, then you've got issues, which he demonstrated throughout the year. And Dusty demonstrated he can't read that in his pitchers. So it literally is this thing where every time out, I might pitch to three guys, I might pitch to 72 guys. No one knows. And no one knows their role because he won't tell them. And that's one of the things that, the again, the Giants, the Reds, the Nats all said about Dusty Baker is he doesn't define a role for anybody 
And if it is defined, it's in your head. And I think he really suffers when he doesn't have somebody who is the closer um, without dispute. Uh, we had that in Roberto Osuna for what, two games. Uh, uh, Presley is a good reliever. Ryan Presley is a good reliever as a setup guy. He is not a closer. His stuff doesn't translate well. And, I, and I'm talking about the mental stuff. And that's no, no foul on him because we didn't sign him to be our closer. Yeah. Think there was any future hope that well well the Suna goes away well that, that was not part of the plan he was supposed to be a premier setup guy and in that role I think he'd flourish again as a closer he's going to be kind of iffy every time he goes out especially when you have a manager that doesn't use you on a consistent basis in the role that you're supposed to be used in well I mean speaking of closers um and I think that all of us are not going to shed too many tears that the Roberto Osuna era is over I think we can look at the dark times that have become from 2018 to now. And, the, and a lot of that starts with him. Uh, who do you, do you think that that role gets filled in house or do you think, uh, you know, Brad hands available? Um, I really would like to see, and I don't, I think the issue is that no matter what Chandler Rome or Jake Kaplan or that group of guys tells you, nobody knows what James clicks plans are. Uh, maybe not even James click at this point. I hope that we are looking in free agency or uh, trade, but really with what we have in the minor leagues right now, knowing that we need all the guys that we have, um, I don't know that you can avoid free agency for, for, for a reliever. And there are going to be some very good ones available as the um, non-tendered and the release yeah. list uh, continues to grow with the uncertainty that, that Major League Baseball faces financially. Um, you're going to see a Brad Hand available. You're going to see other guys available that you wouldn't think would be available um, as premier bullpen guys. And I think you've got to go out and get one, even if it's just for two years, uh, because we don't have anybody. Christian Javier is a great pitcher. I'd rather him be a starter. There's more value for him being a starter. Uh, in Ole Paredes, I don't know that he's a closer. Uh, maybe he is, but maybe he's also supposed to be a starter, probably in AAA next year, if we're being really, really honest. Um but I, I just don't see anybody on the current roster or in the farm system, especially with Josh James, would have, who would have been my candidate um, had he not had an arthritic hip and is going to be out until the all-star break. Um, that's, that's the guy I think that you could put in that role and tell him just throw fastballs. Don't think meat. You're only going to hurt the team. Yeah. And if he, if he could get over his ego and the desire to be a starter, he could do that and be successful at it because I think he does um, have the ability to be a goldfish. I was talking um, in an interview that's gonna that I think is actually gonna play after yours in the show, but beforehand uh, to our Dodger buddy who, and he was talking about how um, he sees the offseason profiling where five or six teams that have money, and I think the Astros are among them, are gonna mm-hmm. have this real avail- real ability to grab a lot of talent on short term deals with the uncertainty of the CBA coming up. How do you think all of this plays into that? Um, I think it's a big part of it. I think there's going to be an unprecedented amount of players available. And when the market is flooded like that, you're going to be able to find bargains and you're going to be able to find premier pieces for maybe not as much as you would have expected to pay for them just because there is going to be so much competition. Um, Loop from the Rays, for instance, was non-tendered by the Rays. Uh, He's a guy that's available that I would love to see in the Astros bullpen. Charlie Morton was non-tendered, or at least it isn't going to have his option picked up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we would build him a house in Houston where he decided to come back there. Um, And he wants to play another couple of years. So I think there's going to be, I don't think, you know, I think um, one of the things that I know we're going to talk about is, 
the qualifying offers that were extended or not extended. And I think Michael Brantley is going to be available for much cheaper than he normally would be, which might be good for the Astros if he enjoyed being here um, to re-sign him for less than certainly the nearly $19 million that the qualifying offer would have had to be. Yeah, so that's what I was going to ask you about. So the qualifying offer to George makes sense. If he takes it, bully for you. Um, And there's been some people that think he might actually take it and then look for that big deal after a year when maybe the economy looks more normal. Um, To your point, though, do you think that them not offering it to Brantley means they think they have the chance to re-sign him? I mean, because it seems like you think if you think he's going to walk, you offer him so you can get the draft pick, right? Right. But I think the danger is that Brantley's not stupid. He's going to be entering his age 34 or 35 um, playing year in 2021, assuming there's a season. (laughs) Um, And uh, he's not going to get $19 million on the open market. The Yankees aren't interested in signing him. And I think they're the only team that would overpay for a player at this stage in the game like that. Um, he's a great player. He's a guy who has questionable legs. He is a guy who needs to spend some time during the year at DH. I think the Astros can accommodate that, especially if we paid the, enough for um, Jordan Alvarez's bionic knees to pay uh, to play um, left field at least a little bit of the time. Uh, then you have an opportunity to go get a guy like Brantley for maybe $10 million a year. And I know when we start talking about monopoly money like this, it turns a lot of people off, but that's a bargain for Michael Brantley. He's a guy who's going to roll out of bed and hit 300, 320, um, 20 home runs, lots of RBIs, and does that uh, in close and tight situations, which you like to see. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it flabbergasted me. I think you called in our private messaging that they weren't going to offer to him. And I really thought they would. I think there's too much danger that he would take it. Uh, there's too much danger. He's not going to get $19 million on the open market. I mean, yeah. he's just not, uh, not at that age. I think he is an eight to $10 million player. Um, and I think that's, it's a smart move by the Astros because there was too much danger for him just to say, yep. And then they can't do anything else because they've just spent 9 million more than they were planning. That and eats, uh, that up the, the Josh Reddick loss and the Roberto Asuna loss and, you know, a couple other guys, Brad Peacock, that are not going to be Astros anymore. And to your point, he doesn't really necessarily help you in the outfield anymore. And that's the whole point. The point is we got yeah, to on an everyday basis. Um, and then I guess MLB trade rumors has Jackie Bradley Jr. playing center. Um, <laughs> I'd rather have Milton Bradley. Um, do you think? Well, I mean, he is available. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Jack Bradley Jr. is a guy that people are only interested in because he played for the Red Sox. That that literally is it. If he was a Royal, nobody would want him. Yeah. But ESPN and MLB.com and MLB TV and the athletic are all going to, well, he was a Red Sox and they won a world series. So he must be good. The Astros will probably sign him because nobody else will want him. It's just a stupid name recognition for lack of a better term, and I'm hoping we're not going to be experiencing that with the elections uh, this week. (laughs) Name recognition is bad, Monty Brewster. Okay. Um, Last question then, and and I won't ask you the question everybody's wanting to know is, will Springer be back or not? Um, I'm still springing hopeful on that. When do you think though, like, like last year had a very weird free agency where big contracts got signed really early on this year. There is no winter meetings such as we know them. Mm -hmm. Uh, The economics of this are still so uncertain. There's still no um, 
like idea, like the, the thing that just broke, we haven't even talked about on the show yet. We'll table for next week is that they're going to split spring training in half and push the minor league season to start in May. Um, so much uncertainty. When do you start to think some of these big names like Springer or Bauer will come off the board? Well, um, he uh, George was offered a um, his qualifying offer on Sunday, uh, November 1st. He has till the 11th to accept it or decline it. If he doesn't decline it by Monday, um, Tuesday, fairly early in the process, he's considering it. Um, but I think to your point, he is weighing out the options and his agents are certainly weighing out the options of this being a really crappy year to be a free agent. Even if you are the premier position player left out, out, out there, which he is, um, it's, it's not a great year. And so maybe you do take the one-year offer. Maybe that buys the Astros some time to negotiate a longer-term deal. And frankly, even if he declines it, I know that um, our friend Mr. Kaplan with The Athletic thinks that George is gone. Uh, and he's not he's not necessarily sharing why he thinks that he just is it's a foregone conclusion because um, he would like that end result. That's Kaplan's motive is he he actually hates the Astros and, and that would make him happy. And that's how he's well, and it's a great story, too, because there will be a story immediately after about George's couldn't stand being around the cheaters anymore and had to leave um, that that will be the narrative if he goes. But I think that I think if he accepts the qualifying offer or even if he doesn't. The Astros window with George Springer is not closed until it's closed, until he signs somewhere. I don't think there's any rush on him to sign before the end of the year, but I would see that kind of as a mid Christmas time type of signing. Maybe it bleeds over into the new year. I don't anticipate it being early because I just don't think they're going to get the offers immediately that they're looking for. Um, if you look at the logical conclude logical players, the Yankees don't need him. Sure. Uh, and and I, don't, I don't think they're a player for him. The Dodgers won't take him um, because they don't need him. The Red Sox wouldn't pay Mookie Betts, so I don't understand why they would pay George Springer. Their situation is not better financially. Um, I don't think he's a White Sox guy. I certainly don't think he's a Tigers guy because I know we both thought he might follow Hinch wherever Hinch ends up. Um, Maybe the Mets. I think the Phillies are probably a real player if he's just dead set on being in the Northeast. But I think Houston's a pretty attractive opportunity for him because he knows what he's getting into, and there's still a team that can compete at the highest level. And there's, a, I don't know that you can say that about the Mets or the Phillies right now. I've seen the Braves that. as well. I've seen the Braves as a possibility as well. Sure. Um, the the I, Braves doesn't answer the problem. The, the big thing is that he wants to be closer to home, right? And the Braves right. are not exponentially closer to – I know they are closer, but they're not exponentially closer. Well, I mean, they're, I think, an hour longer plane ride. Uh, you know, does that matter at the end of the day? No. Um, all right, last to, question. Build a giant home wherever he goes, so it doesn't really matter. I would like to build Minute Maid Park East in Florida. He can play there, and we'll let Charlie pitch there every fifth day. Sure. Um, here's uh, the last question. So Trevor Bauer, Tyler, to the fans of this mm-hmm. show. Oh, Tyler Bauer. Yeah. Tyler Bauer trolled everyone with a photo of him in front of Minute Maid Park about four days ago. And he's been pretty open about saying he would definitely not rule out the Astros as a a potential suitor. How would you feel if the Astros signed Bauer? Um, Well, he probably hasn't beaten his wife. So he's ahead of our former closer. Um, so I can, you know, I, I, th- he has that. I don't think he's, he's a jerk. Okay. And he's egotistical and narcissistic. Um, 
And if you're going to play on a team sport, you're going to be a pitcher and be that guy. Yeah. Um, I think anywhere you could put somebody like that, it would have to be a starting pitcher. The Astros need an ace. Um, Zach Krenke's not that guy anymore, and that's okay. Uh, he's a solid number three. Lance McCullers is a solid number three. And I know Astro Twitter, who listens to this, is going to freak out that I said those words. Yeah. Uh, and we don't re- – I mean, Fromber's good. Fromber could continue to improve, but I don't know that you qualify him as a staff ace. Uh, Urquidy is still developing. Um, I hope that uh, Christian Javier is our fifth starter next year. But whoever – you still need another guy. Um, and you need a guy who's a stopper as your starter. Um, Verlander was supposed to be that guy. It's obviously not going to be him. So I could, I could swallow my pride with Bauer, especially knowing that it's only, he only signs one year contracts. Um, so, you know, could I live with it for a year? Sure. Would I rather the Astros open the season with what they have and make a deal at the trade deadline? If it makes sense. Yes. I'd rather do that. I just don't know that we have the horses in triple a double a to make that happen anymore. Although, Counter to that is we showcased our entire pitching roster to Major League Baseball in the 2020 season. So, and they all performed pretty well. So, you may have a buyer there that wants a cheap player control kind of pitcher, um, and we could be a provider for that at the All Star break or at the trade deadline. Ladies and gentlemen, please adjust your scorecards. We have a special guest in the lineup. And we do have a special guest. Alex Eakland, who uh, maybe is one of the, the happiest people on the face of the planet right now. If you notice, he's already got his World Series champ hat and T-shirt on. Alex, have you slept? Just over the last couple of days, but the first about like two or three, it was pretty hard. Just couldn't sleep. It was still pretty, just couldn't even really process what was going on. It was like honestly pretty hard to even talk about. Yeah, I mean, and it was cool because I was texting you with it through the thing, and and I want to get to that night, and I want to get to how your credit card feels, but um, mm-hmm. I want to go back a little bit because one of the things that's now become um, the hot topic in Rob Manfred's uh, desire to ruin baseball um, is to he's proposed. I don't know if you saw this having a neutral site World Series, just period. Yeah, you were at the NLCS champion, the NLCS <clears throat> for three games in a neutral site. Um, a little bit about that experience for you, and what are your thoughts on the idea of doing these championship rounds in a neutral site? Uh, I mean, it for the for my personal experience, the neutral site it was a I enjoyed it, but I will say like it, it was the Dodgers against the Braves, so those are two relatively popular teams, uh, big markets, fans willing to travel for their fan bases. And uh, then you had the World Series, which I didn't go to, but you just hear all of the analysts and all of, like the Twitter, like the people on Twitter, and saying it was dominated by Dodgers fans. And I think that's the issue you would run into when you run into a smaller market team. And then that's when it, I think it becomes kind of unfair as a big market team. I mean, sure, do I want to see Dodger Stadium packed? Yeah, I prefer that. But if it went to be a neutral site it would probably be more so a benefit for the Dodgers and it would hurt them yeah I guess that's true like if it's Dodgers Tampa like it was exactly and then the question becomes if it's Tampa Arizona does anybody go exactly and I think that's the problem and I think that's overall why you have to shut it down and say no because I mean that very that that could easily happen I mean a couple years ago you had you know what like 
Mets and Royals fans, like how, how well are Royals fans going to travel? Yeah. You know, you know, that's an unfair like advantage and all of that. So, yeah, I think overall that one needs to get shut down. That's a yeah, I mean, even, idea. even last year's series, um, Astros nationals drew nothing in ratings and I can't imagine you would see it. Plus the whole, the idea of the world series takes place during a weekday. Who's now going to travel yeah, during the exactly. weekday. Um, you know, so you, um, you and I met under the, the I think the best of um, circumstances, you reminded me of what it's like to be a human being. And again, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been waiting for this championship all your, all, all your life. Uh, the questions about not winning in 17 and 18 have to factor in. If you can remember what it was like the minute the strikeout happened, what was going through your head? Uh, well, obviously like 18, 18 was easier to digest. Not for the reason that many are going to say, but for like, we were just kind of getting our ass kicked by the Red Sox. So it was like not really even close. So that one, you kind of saw it coming after what was a game four when the Dodgers kind of blew that lead that they had, uh, 17, obviously harder to digest because it goes to the game seven, uh, you know, Darvish comes out and just gets absolutely racked. Like that was pretty unfortunate. Um, I'd say honestly, though, I, I think the 19 was still harder than both of them. You know, like you have your, your, your nationals team, they, they went off of a error off of Trent Grisham. Yeah. Uh, barely scraping by, then they come and they, then their pitchers just get locked in after having a pretty shaky entire 2019 season and they just get hard at the right time and win. Uh, so that one was a little bit harder to swallow. I mean, I don't care what anyone says. It's it's definitely easier to lose in the World Series than before it, I think. Yeah. Um, no, I totally get that. Um, so this World Series, it's interesting because it reminds me a little bit of really um, – the World Series win for the Nationals last year, the World Series win for the Strohs in 17 and the Cubs in 16, it's kind of an era-defining win, right? Like, yeah. Red Sox had won a bunch in 18, by 18 happened. Let's talk about what I think one of the best people in baseball, Clayton Kershaw. What does this mean for his career going forward now? I mean, it it's a little dramatic to say everything, but now there's no, like, but at the end of the sentence, when you talk to him, you know, like you go, Oh, he's got three Cy Youngs. He's got an MVP and he's got a world series ring, you know, like now there's no, but right. And if, you know, obviously there's the haters that'll say, but, but I mean, you have so many players that they play for the chance to win one and he's been on some good teams. And if you look at, you know, you said the 2016 era, I mean, I like to call it the Dave Roberts era, I guess, but, the Dodgers either won the World Series or lost to the World Series winner in every single one of those years. Wow. So, you know, like that's a that's a pretty big hump to get over. You know, it. You know, now like people started throwing around like, oh, are you going to be the what is it, the Bills of the NFL? Or like now it's like, well, the Braves only won one in their 14 year span. So like, who's talking crap now? Because we still got you know, what is it? Six more tries at this thing to be able to say we've pulled off two. And so I think it really kind of, it switches the narrative up really quick because now, you know, Kershaw is the all-time postseason leader in strikeouts and he has a ring, right? So it's like that changes his legacy a lot really quick after you look at all of the hiccups that he's had going back. 
Yeah, and and, and it, you know to happen to him, who's I think by all accounts one of the nicest guys. I actually know someone who knows him personally, one of the nicest guys in baseball. I think most people were cheering for that. Uh, also, Turner. I mean, getting the ring for them, and and that guy, such a humanitarian. Again, career defining for him as well, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean. His case is even a little bit crazier, I'd say. I mean, obviously, Kershaw gets his legacy because of how dominant and Hall of Fame status. I mean, Justin Turner's not a Hall of Famer. Uh, he's not going to be. Um, but he's a local guy, went to Cal State Fullerton, you know, goes and plays pretty poorly into his late 20s up with the Mets, comes and has this, you know, career-defining trade. They revamp him. He starts as a utility guy, becomes an everyday third baseman gets a big contract and then now he gets his world series you know it's kind of just like the uh you know the icing on the cake the end of the story i mean i know his career's not over yet but i mean if he walks out of this and he doesn't come back as a dodger next year i mean i don't think you could have wrote that script any better of his narrative with the dodgers no you can't all right so here's what i want to go to because uh, uh, um it almost happened to kevin cash in the ALCS, uh, I don't know how closely you watched. Morton was dealing, pulled him out because the sheet said so, and the Astros almost made it all the way back. Mm-hmm. Um, when Snell comes out, are, we, are you the Mookie Betts of fans going, oh, this is it? Uh, I mean, I wasn't that confident, but I was still like, what the heck is going on? Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I like analytics. I think they have a lot, a big place in baseball. I think really though, when it comes to the postseason, uh, it, you got to throw a lot of it out the window. And I know I, I get it. And I understand the reasoning. I like, you know, he, he hasn't gone that deep. Oh, he third time. I understand where they're coming from. It's how they got there. And it's really hard in games, you know, game six of the world series to change everything you've always done and go and you know try something new like i get it but still i there's no excusing that like the, it, like and then one thing i will say is a lot of people give dave roberts a lot of crap about how he manages dave always leaves people in too long yeah and that i feel like you know if you got to be the manager that, you know, dies on the, you know, on dies on the cross for his guy like that, I'd rather be that guy than the person at the end of the game. Like, you know, I don't know if you saw Snell's interview, but it's like, how does he explain to the media how he's feeling without like bashing his manager? And, and he is, he's bashing him, but like, I think he's got every right to, but I'd rather have the media bashing the, the manager alone than both the manager and then the player having to like kind of feed into it, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. That's just how I feel about it. But. Well, and I think with the Snell thing too, is that he had not looked that dominant since his Cy Young season. Like, again, we watched him in the LCS and he gave up maybe only two hits, but there were like rockets at people. Like you can see the writing on the wall. Yeah. This was a, a dominant performance. And if you're trying to force the game seven, you want to save your bullpen anyway. Like uh, to me, it made, oh, yeah. it made no sense, but I think, you know, the Dodgers were wire to wire um, the best team in baseball. I think I picked them in January when we thought we'd have a regular season. And then I picked mm-hmm. them in, in June. Um, I've already seen it and it's stupid. People now want to apply the asterisks, which, you know, I trigger on that word. Mm-hmm. Um 
to the season because it's only 60 games. And I'm trying to explain it, but it's 60 games under situations that no one should ever play baseball under. How are you yeah. responding to that if people come at you about that? Well, I think the only way to answer it is like, uh, I'd say that's a pretty common answer for someone who doesn't really know anything about baseball, to be honest, you know, like not to be an ass about it, but I mean, I, the only thing that I can understand in the argument is, yeah, the players would be, you know, more fatigued by the end of the regular season. But if everyone isn't, you know, doesn't have that much wear and tear in their body and they all are still good to go mid-season form, I mean, you can make an argument that that's going to be the best, like, performance you're going to ever see because those guys are really fresh. I mean, like, look at Randy Rosarena. I mean, come on, like that's, that doesn't even make sense that he was able to do that. And, you know, if you take a, a rookie who's never played a 162 before and he plays a 162, you think he's going to have the stamina to go out there and perform to like that level of intensity? Like, I don't know, probably not. And then I think just even on top of that too, and I think people still don't even understand this. Like I know a lot of the postseason stuff worked out the way it was supposed to, but a lot could have gone wrong in that three game series that wild card series yeah you know for like you know a lot more cases with like, like if the, the brewers could have easily won two games in a row if they would have had you know their relief guys if they would have had uh their two their, their two relief aces i can't remember their names uh, Hater and whoever else yeah 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 so if they would have had those guys uh good to go it could have been a different story you know two games you piece together a couple of bullpen games you don't even need a starter to get to the next round where you know and like I think that it like really goes uh, unmatched. I, I like that's extremely difficult. And then plus the uh, the traveling aspect of it. Like once you got to the division series, you weren't even playing at your home park anymore. Yeah. You know. So I I think it. I don't buy that that there should be an asterisk to it. I think if anything, if there's an asterisk to it, it should be to identify that it was probably harder than any of the other yeah. years. Well, I think I think for all the things you said, I think you easily could have, like you said, had a bad wild card round, mm-hmm. or the idea that you know I was listening to some of the some of the Astros talk about how like yeah we show up to the park to spit in the tube and then we sit around for three hours like all of that stuff adds to it where yeah it might not have been the physical grind but I bet you it was a harder mental grind to get through that and oh yeah yeah I think I think you're I think you're exactly right so. Um, I wanted to ask you some macro baseball questions because you're one of the most intelligent baseball guys that I know. Um, what do you see this offseason looking like with COVID and, and economic, the economic downturn of the sport? And then also going into a CBA, like I honestly don't think we're going to have a complete baseball season until 2023. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, that for sure wouldn't shock me. Um, I think the biggest wake-up call for me was seeing a guy like, you know, Brad Hand uh, not get his $10 million option picked up. Um, when that Because, I mean, like, that's what the Dodgers paid for Trinan. And Trinan had, you know, he did well and obviously a big innings in the postseason. But, I mean, Brad Hand was a top three AL reliever of the year award, you know, nominee, you know, and, and he doesn't even get $10 million. That's pretty crazy. So I don't know. It's not, it's going to be pretty crazy. Like guys like Bauer, like I saw like some of those people, like they got like their qualifying offers, which was 18.9 mil this year. Yeah. Um, 
I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people accepted that qualifying offer. Yeah. You know? It's interesting and, and, with the CBA yeah. coming because you're going to, everything might just get erased after the CBA. Like who knows? Yeah. Cause if you get 18.9 mil and then you're out there and you get another, I don't know, prorated at like 60 or a hundred games, you're still making a pretty decent salary gambling on yourself. Kind of like guys like Azuna had to do this year. And then you go out there and you, you hope that, you know, COVID goes away more so and that, you know, the fans can come back and you can pay your guys. I will say one thing, and they've been saying this a lot. It, the thing that's scary and obviously like it's good for like me, but big market teams are really going to be able to capitalize on this. You know, like you go out and it's like, Oh, one year at Trevor Bauer for $20 million. Like that's a, that's a steal. You know, like people are like even something less like now, like a guy like Brad Hand, if the market for him isn't $10 million, he was on a team that's a contender. It's like, okay, so what's his market? Like $6 million, $7 million. Like, oh, well, I need to, like, if I'm the Dodgers, like I got to go replace Pedro Baez and Blake Trinan and McGee. And I can go get a guy who's better than all three of them for less than I was paying Trinan. Like that's a no, that's a no brainer. So then you got guys like just stacking up and like you, you, the other thing you're saying too, like people are going to want to sign these contracts like before anything gets crazy because they want their guaranteed money and they want, so I don't know, it could get ugly really quick. And just like some of the other stuff too, like on top of all of that, just them having to deal with some of the rule changes that they tried this year and like what they're going to keep and get rid of. Like the one that I thought they for sure were going to keep was the DH in the national league. And they hear yeah. that that's the one that they're thinking about not doing is kind of crazy. Yeah, I don't understand the logic of that. Um, I I hate most of them in various degrees. I can live with the three batter minimum. I wish it mm-hmm. didn't exist in the postseason. Like, I, and, and yeah. that's what I want to see strategy. But you know, the the runner on second base, I must as well let everybody have a ghost runner or something. It was just dr- driving me nuts. Oh, that one was for sure the worst. I mean, the one that I like, uh, the one that I kind of. It, it let me get over the three batter minimum is the fact that they have the expanded rosters. Yeah. Like that kind of made it a little bit better, but I think the expanded rosters and uh, uh, the DH in the national league are like my two favorite ones for sure. I mean, I like seeing like the dynamic that you saw in the world series. You had like the Rays, who their offense is obviously their weakest link and so they needed to carry a deeper bench bench so that they could go matchup base and the Dodgers were vice versa. They had a year where they were a little bit more consistent in their lineup. So they were able to, be, they were able to go and match up against the Rays and get more pitching depth. So it was just kind of, I like the way that it worked out like that. Like I like the different strategies that teams use. Like you take all the different analytical teams and you see how they base their strategy. And I think that's like why the postseason was so fun this year. Yeah, it was. I think they hit a home run, pun intended, with a three-game wild card. I think um, yeah. baseball should never be a one-and-done sport. Um, yeah, 100%. Just the nature of that. And I'll be honest, too, because I do so much minor league baseball stuff, I didn't hate the seven-inning doubleheader. Like, I, know I didn't either. Yeah, it, you're used to that in the minors, and it's kind of cool. Like, you don't yeah. – you know, because you guys live in a really nice area. We have a roof. We don't get doubleheaders very often, so it was just sort of neat sometimes. Yeah, I like that a lot. And and it's kind of cool because, like, I don't know, 
it gives you, and, and this will probably make some old school baseball fans roll over in their grave, but like to see somebody go out there and like throw a complete game shutout, even though it's seven innings, you don't see a nine inning complete game shutout anymore to see. So to even see a seven inning one's kind of cool. And, you know, I don't know. And it's, I, I like it too, because I feel like it lets the pitchers pace themselves differently and you see better stuff out of them. Cause they know it's like, Oh, what well, seven innings. I can get through that in 110 pitches, even if I'm not pitching well. So let's yeah. just go pedal to the metal and see what I can do. And and I think that was like a really like I mean, I, Trevor Bauer thrived with the seven inning doubleheaders. Yeah, he no, he did. Um, he is Alex. You guys got to check him out. So Alex, where can everybody find you? you? You do some of the best baseball content out there, and again, a great human being, which is yeah. not shouldn't they should be discounted mm-hmm. in 2020. Where can everybody find your show? So on Twitter, my personal handle is at AlexEquin31. So I'm on there talking about stuff, going to interact with anyone who wants to talk baseball. And then on Instagram, the podcast that me and a couple of my other buddies just recently started is at the average bros underscore take. Uh, so if you want to go and check us out, that'd be awesome. We release stuff every week. We talk about football, college football, baseball, and just kind of anything in between sports. Show me the merch, the best from the pro shop. So we are back here on show me the merch. And we talked earlier in the show about the transition that the Appy league, the Appalachian league was going to make from being a, an affiliated league to a collegiate summer league. And we've had um, the folks from the Greenville Reds cat on our show earlier in the season. We're very excited to see what they come up with. And one of the rules that I've had on this show, and I've talked about it a bunch, is that I don't buy gear from teams that are using the parent club because I don't want to own, you know, I'm not interested in owning something from the New York, from from anybody named the Yankees. Um, Pizza Rats, I'm all about it. And that, that is that constant discussion. And one of the things where I often do is I say something like I'm absolute, and then I look at something and think... But that's clever. And I feel felt like because this was essentially going to become rare pieces of baseball history, I had to pick up some stuff from the Greenville Reds. And part of why, if you take a look at the logo on the ball cap here, part of it is it's essentially that Reds baseball logo with the coonskin cap. And one, I think it's a clever design. I got it on the ball cap. And on the baseball tee that I can't wait to wear. But one of the things I love about the logo, and again, on the baseball, and they even sent me a really cool lanyard to wear. So um, I love the logo for a lot of reasons. It does harken back enough to the Reds look without being a Cincinnati Reds look. And we all know that Davy Crockett, from Tennessee, told everyone they could go to hell. He was going to Texas. And I think that coonskin cap ties enough into um, my identity as a Texan that it just grabbed me. And so while we're very excited to see what Greenville comes up with when they get to adopt their own identity that reflects their own community, we are going to hold this stuff in a very, very special place in our hearts. So thank you to Kat and everybody from Greenville for getting this stuff out to us. This just in news from minor league baseball.
All right, so we are jumping back on to uh, Let's Get To's breaking news segment. We do have Jess back, and it's just weird because um, we had no news, Jess, and now we've got at least some substantiated rumors about some of the teams that could be moving, might be moving, um, that, that, that we broke from Ballpark Digest. What have we read? Well, uh, so basically, uh, uh, Ballpark Digest broke a story uh, Monday morning, November 2nd, because there's nothing else happening this week to follow. Uh, (laughs) In the next week and a half or so, we might know uh, more, if not full details of what's uh, planned or what's going to happen for realignment. Obviously, it still has to be agreed upon. uh, But the early reportings of uh, at least the California league that it was going to stay at eight teams. The Lancaster Jetthawks would drop out uh, and the Fresno Grizzlies would drop from AAA down to the California league. Uh, that seems to be according to a, a reporter from baseball or from ballpark digest that that is uh, that has been leaked information to him from the negotiations from the MLB side, that that's what's happening uh, with, with regards to the California league California League also would be going from high A to low A. Uh, that's something that had been talked about for a while. Um, but it seems like at least that part of it might be happening. I think the biggest news uh, in regards to all of that, uh, on top of one of the teams that was on the list, seemingly confirmed that they are going to lose their affiliation, is uh, the shakeup at the AAA level. The Fresno, the Fresno Grizzlies will be dropping down. And if if this end, if this uh, high A low A swap does come to fruition, the Fresno Grizzlies would be going from AAA all the way down the ladder to the new lowest level of affiliated baseball to low A. They'd still be playing full season baseball. They'd still be playing 140 games. Uh, well, that might be changing too. But they still be playing full season, whatever that may be in minor league baseball in the future. Um, but the other big news of AAA is what was expected in terms of teams coming in. Uh, the Sugarland Skeeters uh, from the Atlantic League and uh, the American Association St. Paul Saints seemingly both moving to uh, AAA baseball. What league undetermined, but I believe the original uh, alignment suggested that the PCL would go down, the Pacific Coast League would go down to 10 teams. Yeah. Um, which seemingly sets up nicely for Sugarland to go into the PCL because one of the teams dropping from the Pacific Coast League, uh, actually two of the teams dropping from the Pacific Coast League to the Texas League would be the Wichita Wind Surge and uh, the newly minted AAA team, the San Antonio Fish, got a whole one year in AAA before uh, being relegated back to AA. So that's that's kind of the big news, uh, the AAA or the the AAA shakeup. Oh, and then uh, the third team taking the place of uh, the Fresno Grizzlies, really at the AAA level, would be the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. That that one shocked me, but as, that one actually made a lot of sense to me. The Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp, from a business perspective, are one of the best ran, one of the most um, I think fan friendly um, affiliated minor league baseball teams. Of the of the list, though, what what of this shocks you the most? Um, I think probably the. Uh, I mean, really, at this point, none of it is super shocking, just because it's all been talked about for so long. Um, and I think when the official list comes out, which is still unknown, uh, sure. but when the official list comes out, uh, that's where the real uh, uproar is going to be, because I think there are going to be some major surprises of teams that 
uh, thought they were safe or other teams that were on the list that saved themselves and, and uh, have salvaged their affiliations. Uh, but like, as, as we're seeing with uh, uh, the jumbo shrimp, I think the, the one angle from that where it really makes the most sense and where we might see some, some shenanigans that we weren't otherwise uh, expecting is Wichita uh, is the AAA affiliate as of now that the AAA affiliate of the Florida Marlins or excuse me, the Miami Marlins, the double A affiliate being Jacksonville. Right. So now theoretically the jumbo shrimp could be the triple A affiliate of the Marlins. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, their double A affiliate was Jacksonville last year. So now Wichita could be their double A affiliate, but if that, but that sort of thing could exist uh, elsewhere in minor league baseball, where you have a triple A team that maybe either doesn't draw as well or just unknown or for the sake of uh, proximity to the parent club, you might see some some more uh, jumping around of affiliates because really at this point, it seems like Major League Baseball is going to draw up whatever they want to draw up. Uh, and everything that existed in 20, I guess 2020, but 2019 and backwards no longer matters. That that it's what whatever Major League Baseball thinks makes the most sense to them is going to be what it's going to be and then uh, every other independent, independently run minor league organization uh, can just figure it out from there. Um, you know, one of the things that doesn't shock me is moving San Antonio down. I've told you several times that uh, that is not a triple A ballpark. I'm not sure it's a double A ballpark, although next time we talk, we'll talk about stadium renovation. Um, but it really does break my heart um, if, if we're really worried about Lancaster actually losing a team. Um, you know, I've, I've spoken before, I think it's important for people serving our country to get to feel a little bit of normalcy, what's more normal than baseball. Do you see the possibility of an independent club going in there, collegiate woodblad, or do you think it's just that, that's it for baseball in Lancaster? I mean, the ballpark here, and, and granted I'm a little biased because I've seen it and I've gotten to work in it for, for a few months, uh, the ballpark here is, is nice. It's, it's nicer than others in the California League. It's nicer than others around the country. Uh, and it deserves, you know, it's it's worthy of having uh, professional baseball played in it. That said, it might just be kind of a geography-based thing because uh, the Pecos League is really the only pro league, the independent, only independent league that that plays uh, that has any footprint really in California. Uh, with the Bakersfield Blaze and the High Desert Mavericks recently, in, within the last few years, moving their organizations to the care or having their organizations move to the Carolina league, uh, Bakersfield and high desert, which is in the town of Adelanto about half an hour ish from here. Um, they have franchises in the Pecos league, which also has a footprint in Northern California. And then as far East as Kansas and Texas, uh, they average about, I believe the top drawing team averages uh, seven to 800 fans a game. So, excuse me, and that's a league, uh, independent leagues, you have to pay your own players, you have to pay your own staff. Sure. And so you need the costs of everything to be a little bit higher. And so then you've lost the ability to claim yourself as a family-friendly, uh, affordable, family-friendly entertainment, at least a little bit. I mean, with Major League Baseball an hour down the road in LA, still cheaper than the Dodgers, but that's <laughs> Really saying much when you have the World Series champion in your backyards who can in, their, in your backyard who can really charge whatever they want. Uh, you're going to be cheaper than them as long as 
you know, you don't try to copy them in full. So I think from that standpoint, I don't know how likely it is that the Jedhawks or that baseball could continue, you know, if, if this, if this follows through uh, the way it seemingly is set to, uh, I don't know that uh, pro ball or independent ball, at least with the current ownership group, with the current uh, setup would be able to, to step in and do, uh, you know, do a, a job anywhere as close to uh, what the Jethawks are doing from a, a collegiate standpoint. I think it's the same thing. There's just, there's not high level uh, amateur or, or low level uh, uh, minor league or pro level stuff out here. Um, there is a California collegiate baseball league. Most of the teams are along the coast, Santa Barbara, has one of the better teams that takes place in the National Baseball Congress every year, which is like the Summer Collegiate World Series right. from several leagues around the country. So Santa Barbara has a good footprint. There's a team in San Luis Obispo, uh, and they're up and down the coast, a couple in San Diego as well. But they're they're in, uh, uh, I think, just, you know, there's not a team within three hours of here. And so dropping from, back to, you know, the conversation uh, from our last conversation about talking – uh, or talking about losing affiliate or affiliates losing games uh, and the schedule being shortened. So the home schedule being shortened and what you can do with that money, uh, summer collegiate just doesn't play very much. And so if you only have 20 or so home games, uh, especially the fact that you're playing a lot of teams in either the Pecos league or the California collegiate league uh, that play in high school ballparks, and uh, just just to kind of frame it here, we're talking California high school ballparks, which means they probably don't have a, a, or they don't have a video board on their scoreboard. Uh, they maybe have an electronic scoreboard. It might be hand hand hung, uh, and there's a decent chance they don't have lights. The dugouts could just be behind fences, and it's a it's a single metal bench. But that is a very real thing that exists in California high school baseball, uh, and those are the types of fields that a lot of these pro teams uh, charge money to have people come see games at. And so from that standpoint, I'm not sure that's feasible for the Jedhawks as well. Uh, I think until Major League Baseball has decided that they're ready to uh, show the guillotine to everybody that they're dropping it on, it's not 100%. But at least as of this report, it doesn't seem uh, too good for the people of the Envelope Valley. Holler and a swaller, a chug of Ballpark Brew, presented by The Hitter Sports. And we are back here on Holler and a Swaller, presented by The Hitter Sports. Follow him at The Hitter Sports. And, you know, I am – it's funny because when I love something, I'm essentially passionate and fired up about it. I get involved. And clearly I love baseball because I do a baseball show but I am also your ultimate Christmas friend. It's never too early to celebrate Christmas. Pretty much as soon as the Halloween decorations come down, I get fired up. I'm excited about the Yuletide season. Um, I even celebrate Hanukkah a bunch with my friends. So I love everything about this time of year. And one of those things that I love is the beer. So for the last few haulers and a swaller left in this season, we will be dedicating that to Christmas or holiday beers. And we're going to start with one of my favorite seasonals. It is Shiner Cheer. And it's actually one of the very first Christmas beers I ever had. And 
Shiner now does a lot of different variations, a lot of different flavors, but it wasn't always the case. It usually just was the Bach. And then I remember when Shiner Black came out and you couldn't get it. It was like sold out everywhere. And then something very similar with the Cheer. And it's got a fun can. It's it's um, It tastes like Christmas. There's a certain um, peach and pecan like undertone to the beer. And again, when it came out too, it was impossible to find. I actually remember attending um, a concert in Shiner, Texas, uh, the band's Texas Renegade and the lead singer, Andy Bertelson does the take me out to the ball game on this episode. So that band and we were in Shiner, Texas for the concert and we went to the brewery because we knew that they would have cases of Shiner cheer and we bought enough for the season. It was that that's how hard it was to find. So uh, just delicious. And so we are going to open this bad boy, my first Shiner cheer of what I'm calling the um, extended Holiday season. Again, we're going to go with cans. We're going to send out a toast to Madeline Marco, Bella Marco, two of my absolute favorite people on the face of this planet and just great Dodger fans, both of them. Uh, Madeline actually grew up going to Chavez, Chavez Ravine, um, the, you know, the Jerry, the peanut guy, I guess his name is what I, I don't know. Um, I'll have to have her on to talk about it, but she's a crazy Dodgers fan and really just, um, had an amazing experience watching them win the world series, texting with her back and forth was so great. Her daughter, Bella is one of my absolute favorite people. Um, I was her film teacher for four years and friend and collaborator. So very happy for them. Very happy for Alex, who was on the show earlier. Uh, very happy for Cam Doherty. I, you know, um, there's obviously a lot of rivalry and there's also a lot of noise kind of ran between uh, particularly Astros fans and Dodgers fans. And we all know why. And, and that's not worth rehashing. Um, they should be really proud and happy. And I'm proud and happy for all those people because they're good people. And the thing is, in 2020, I am excited for anybody that can have something good happen to them. Um, and again, like I said earlier, miss me with this whole, it was only 60 games because it was 60 games. Like no one's ever had to play. It was a little bit longer in the playoffs. So it is a championship. Uh, there is no asterisk next to that thing. It is well-deserved, well-earned, and I cannot be happier for those people. So holler and swaller, baby. Delicious. This just in. News from Minor League Baseball. And we are back here with a breaking news segment. And that's right. We've got some breaking news because there's a new sport starting. And it started, oh, a few days ago. And it is, it's, I'm so excited. I can't be more excited about this new sport. And it is the Moral Flexibility Olympics. And we are going to see some of the most loud and ardent baseball critics see just how far they can bend their own morality. And it began, we already have our first award winner. Uh, we're going to keep a running medal count, but we want to congratulate fans of the Detroit Tigers who went as far as to blame Astros fans for corrupting Justin Verlander. 
and who said they wanted nothing to do with any part of that team, we want to give them a gold medal for already bending over backward to support and welcome A.J. Hinch. You guys allowed A.J. Hinch to be unemployed for all of 30 minutes from the minute his suspension ended. And, you know, in the speed round of these Olympics, that's key, getting that gold medal so early. So congratulations. And we're going to continue to see it. We're going to continue to see what happens with this flexibility. Springer's going to get signed by a team, most likely not the Astros. And we're going to see him get signed by teams with fans who were were just all over my mentions about how they don't want uh, someone like him. And we're going to we're going to see how far you've been. So I'm really excited to follow uh, the follow this this competition. We do want to award a bronze medal to the Chicago White Sox, who apparently tried to get A.J. Hinch. And, and we're going to give them the bronze medal because they didn't even remove all evidence of that fact from the initial press release when announcing Tony La Russa. Um, you know, it's interesting this is going exactly like I predicted it would go way back in January, where I've already seen fans of teams, like I said, that that might be in the running for Springer, like the Mets, begin to say, well, you know, there's not as much evidence that Springer participated. Wrong. I love George Springer, one of my top five favorite Astros of all time, and he was one of the biggest users of the scheme. And then they say, well, you know, but he was just uh, he's kind of quiet about it. He didn't really talk about it. Well... Um, what? What? He hit? It doesn't make any sense. But again, that's the beauty of this competition. It doesn't have to make any sense. So again, we're, we're excited to award the gold medal to the Detroit Tigers. We're going to give a bronze to the White Sox because they just couldn't stick the landing. And, you know, in all reality, uh, to my Detroit Tiger friends out there, um, you got a good manager. And, you know, I've talked about on the show before when it came to AJ. Um, if you've never been asked to lead a group of a, a small group of essentially, and I know it's a terrible term, but alpha males, right? And when you have a team, it's a very delicate balance to work to walk. And and as a former non-commissioned officer, I know that. There are there were transgressions that maybe my guys committed. Not everything had to be turned up the to, ran up the flagpole. Not everything had to be um, followed the letter of the law because to do so meant damaging the effectiveness of the whole team. And it's something that you have to learn. And honestly, to the Detroit Tiger fans out there, you should be excited. I don't think he would make the same mistakes in seventeen. I think you learn. I think that's the thing we're all forgetting is that. Most of these guys in 17 were kids or young in their jobs like AJ. And I don't think that the same manager in 2019 was the same manager in 2017. And I think you'll end up getting a good manager. I think he's going to end up turning that team around. And honestly, I'm going to root for the Tigers. And I now I fully expect George Springer to end up there. And I think that that would be a great boon for both of you. But um, yeah, so AJ Hinch going to the Tigers. Congratulations to the Hinch family. Congratulations to AJ and congratulations to the Tigers for coming in gold and our first event of the Moral Flexibility Olympics. And now on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. 
And so that does wrap us up for this episode of Let's Get To. We're going to be back next week with our Veterans Day episode. We're going to have a couple of folks that are in baseball or talk about baseball that also were in the military. And we're going to talk a little bit about service and something that I think, you know, needs to be reflected on, particularly at this time when it just feels like everything's spiraling out of control. But I do want us to, to focus up a little bit on the World Series and Justin Turner. And I think I have a relatively measured approach to that. I don't think that Justin Turner should get the death penalty or be banned from baseball, which is what I've seen. But I also think that it's socially irresponsible to just not have anything happen. I, I don't know what the punishment should be. It seems like maybe a two or three game suspension at the beginning of the year is enough. But we have to understand that baseball put itself at great risk during the coronavirus. It had multiple cancellations. They had a shorter season. They had they essentially exposed players to injury because they felt like the game was important enough that it had to be played under these times. Players put themselves through an unbelievable ordeal to even get the season played and then the playoffs, the being away from family, all that stuff. It's why I think anybody that's coming at Dodger fans saying it doesn't count because it's only a 60 game season, they need to miss me with that because the, it was a, it was just as much an ordeal as 162, but just in a different way. That being said, you know, I've always said that, and, and I remember when someone came to me after the Astros were busted in 17 and they said, listen, how, how do I talk to my kids about, about cheating and their heroes? And the first thing I tell them is maybe don't have your kids have athletes be role models because that's first of all, stupid. Uh, go down to your local VA hospital and there are some real heroes to introduce your son to. If you're looking for athletes to raise your children, then you probably shouldn't have them. But here's the thing. I like Justin Turner a lot. I bought his hat on baseballism to, to support his charity. I think he seems like the right kind of dude. Um, but that being said, he sent an incredibly bad message, plus exposed his fellow players to risk by taking his by by leaving the the place they quarantined him and then taking his mask off. There's lots to unpack. One, I don't believe for a second that Major League Baseball found out about that positive in the sixth, sixth, seventh, or eighth inning, whatever it was. I believe that they had indications beforehand, and if it had been any other player on any other team other than a Dodger or a Yankee, they would have been pulled out before the game started. There's nothing you can tell me that would that would um, convince me otherwise. For the people that are saying, well, it was just a really intense emotional moment and we have to forgive him for the fact that he was overcoming with emotion he wanted to celebrate with his teammates and that his teammates wanted them there. The whole point of how to stop the coronavirus is we all have to be willing to make those sacrifices. And winning a World Series, I would assume, is a huge deal. Right? The hunk of metal. I would assume it's a big deal. You know what else was a big deal? My granddaughter being born. Didn't get to go up there and see her. Didn't go up to be there with my daughter. Why? Because we have to put aside some of our selfish impulses because for the betterment of the, of the, of the country at large. You know, we're sitting here. I'm recording this on Monday. Uh, it's November 2nd. On... I think it was Monday of last week, 
my mother, who is uh, chronically ill, was given the wrong pain medication, uh, fell, ended up in a hospital and for a, and for a temporary amount of time in a rehab facility. I was able to visit her zero times because of the coronavirus, because I, as a teacher, am at risk, and therefore I did not want to risk, nor was I allowed to risk when she was in the facility, killing her. Justin Turner has been loud. He has been correct and talking about this virus like it's a big deal. And so as a result, he needs to be held to the same standards that he wanted other players held to. So while I don't think he's committed the world's greatest sin, I don't think it should be laughed off as nothing. And I think that, you know, the chorus of people that will come out if he does get a suspension and says, I can't believe he's been suspended for Corona when the Astros didn't get one suspension. I think it just shows the overall ignorance and the overall just um, timely morality that we have. The coronavirus has killed over 200,000 people in this country. And yet our baseball players and our, our owners and all the stadium people felt the game was important enough to us and it was to play. And I applaud them for that. And I applaud Justin Turner's leadership. But I think, you know, there are some instances when you're allowed to have a mental lapse. Being infected with a deadly virus that could spread not just to his teammates, because his teammates are able to say, OK, you know what? I accept the risk. What about all the reporters on the field? What about the stadium employees that didn't know or want know one way or the other that might have encountered him? What about relatives and families of other players? They didn't get that choice. And we need to quit putting athletes on such a pedestal that we don't care about them. We just care about what's going on, on with the athletes. We don't care about all the ancillary people that it took to make that, that, that World Series run and all that stuff. So you know, I think he deserves a suspension. I would say three to five games feels like enough to, to at least send the message that this is serious, especially when it's beginning to look increasingly like we're going to continue to be dealing with this virus as baseball 2021 rolls into play. Um, so this is our episode. We only have three episodes left this season. We are going to be having our Veterans Day episode. A Thanksgiving episode, so we can all be thankful that baseball is in fact back. And then we're going to have the Let's Get To Holiday Special, which I guarantee will be at least marginally more entertaining than the Star Wars Holiday Special. So until then, stay safe, stay sane, do your best to survive election night, do your best to not just cut yourself off from all your family if they happen to at least politely disagree with you. If they're dicks about it, then by all means, I have definitely cut off large sections of my family because they can be assholes. So do your best again. Stay safe. Stay sane. Tomorrow night, Tuesday night, election night, maybe imbibe a little. I'm thinking about taking an Ambien sometime around six o'clock and waking up in 2021 and seeing if that works out. So again, stay safe, stay sane, and let's get to you.